Morning, church. How we doing? We good? All right. We're going to be in John chapter 17 in just a moment. Uh, it's an exciting day today for a number of reasons. I'll start with the least and I'll work up to the greatest. Uh, the least uh, of the reasons is I get to give you some good news um, related to the new building and some of um, just another way that God has provided in, in, in his gracious ways towards us as a church. So just backing up a year and a half ago when we signed our contract on the new building, uh, the contract came with, with an amount of money that would be due once the building was done. And then we also had an amount of money that the bank was willing to loan us. And it was about $1,100,000 of, of Delta there. Well, we had a million dollars down payment we put down, but we all along thought, well, at the end, we're going to have to come up with $100,000 cash to bring to closing, to roll this into permanent. And so we had prepared for that. We had saved the money. Well, this past week, um, after meeting with our banker and reviewing the final documents for our loan, not only um, did our um, overall loan amount more than cover what was needed, so no longer that $100,000, um, the, actually the last draw on our interim money, we didn't even need to borrow from the bank. We already had the cash saved. And so the overall principal went down by over $200,000 from what we thought we were going to be borrowing. Uh, but in addition to that, we're able to negotiate some interest rates, and so what started as somewhere close to five percent interest rate on money borrowed uh, is now at three point nine. And so we had budgeted for payments of seventeen thousand four hundred dollars a month, which is a lot of money. But with that lower interest rate, where now our payments are going to be fifteen thousand one hundred, which means we're saving over twenty-seven thousand dollars per year in interest going forward. And so I just wanted to brag on God for a minute and just celebrate that together with you. God's goodness once again showing us, hey, I've got this. And so just want to share that good news with you. Um, it's always a special time when we come together as God's people. And actually, it's more than special. And it's even more than significant. When God's people gather together on a weekly basis, it's sacred. It's more than just you and I showing up to talk about God or learn about God. As we talked about last week, when we gather together, we gather to experience His presence. And so whether you're a member here or a visitor here, like this is a very sacred time together um, as we gather together as his people. But we've also made it to a place in the Gospel of John that is really special. Chapter 17 in the Gospel of John is where Jesus, before he is arrested, goes into a time of prayer with the Father. And there's so much packed into this chapter of, of Jesus' prayer to the Father. Um, after doing some research, there are pastors who've spent over 50 weeks preaching sermons on just this chapter alone. And so this is a really special place in the Gospel of John. Different even from where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray when he says, pray them like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because in those moments, he's teaching us to pray. But what chapter 17 captures is Jesus himself. What he's thinking, what he's feeling, what he desires to accomplish is all laid out in chapter 17. And so like I was looking at my notes this morning for where we're going to go, we're just going to cover five verses today. And really, half of what we're going to go over is just one verse. What shows up in verse 1. And so we're going to dig in together. Uh, the topic of what we're going to be looking at is this idea of glory. Now, what you'll find in the Bible, if you read it from front to back, is this concept of glory is one of the prominent themes of the entire Bible. And today I think we'll see just why that is. 
Like almost every book in the Bible talks about God's glory and the significance of God's glory and the extent that God will go to to reveal and preserve and protect his glory. And so in chapter 17, after Jesus spent all of 16 warning and preparing the disciples for what is to come. Guys, you're going to be persecuted. The world's going to hate you. You're going to have sorrow. You're going to be lonely. You're even going to abandon me at the cross. And then we get to verse 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now, if you are just visiting with us and haven't been here for a few weeks or even a few months, what we've been noticing since chapter 13 is that the heat is beginning to ramp up and Jesus is beginning to talk about an hour that is about to come. In that final hour, when the hour comes. And now what Jesus is saying is he lifts his eyes to heaven and says, God, it's here. The hour that you've been preparing me for. The hour that I've been preparing my disciples for. The hour that's going to change the world is here. My hour has now come. And so chapter 17 is going to capture all of what Jesus prays for. Chapter 18, he gets arrested. He goes to trial. He's accused. He's convicted. Chapter 19, he dies. He's crucified. And chapter 20 and 21 are accounts of his resurrection. So that's where we are in the gospel account um, from, from John's perspective on Jesus's life and ministry. And Jesus begins his prayer the hour is here, God. Father, the hour is here. So let's look together at what he asked for first. The first thing he asked for is this. God, glorify your son that the son may what? Glorify you. This is a really big topic, and it's also a really difficult concept to grasp when we begin talking about glory. So what do we mean when we use the word glory or we refer to something as glorious? Well, what makes it difficult is glory isn't just something you can see. And it's also not something you can just define with a sentence and become something that you know. To fully understand glory, glory is something you have to experience. I'll give you an example. It's like the Grand Canyon. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I've heard the Grand Canyon described. Maybe you've been there. But it would be like somebody trying to convince you how amazing uh, the Grand Canyon is by describing it to you. And so you could begin to have a knowledge. Oh, the Grand Canyon is this deep. Oh, the Grand Canyon is this wide. Oh, the Grand Canyon goes on for this long. But it's different when somebody says, oh, and now let me show you a picture of the Grand Canyon. Now you begin to see it. But that alone is not enough, is it? It's something altogether different when you stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon and you experience it. That's how the concept of glory is. It's not just something you can describe with words or see with your eyes. It's something you must experience. So as we think about that, what is glory? Glory is what you experience when you experience something that is so much greater than yourself that it's beyond comprehension or adequate explanation. 
So not just something bigger than you, right? I'm not just talking about when you meet somebody who's smarter than you or if you're an athlete faster than you. It's encountering someone or something that is so far greater than you that the greatness is beyond comparison. You can't say it's like this because anything you think about to try to compare it to is inadequate. And it's inadequate even to try to describe it. That's what we mean by glory so let's think then what does it mean to glorify something that's what jesus is asking for father glorify the son that the son might glorify you so i want you to think of glory a lot like you were taught about energy back in physical science do you remember what your teachers told you about energy energy can neither be created nor destroyed oh there are some english or some science teachers who are really proud of you right now right and we won't get into quantum physics and black holes and all that kind of stuff. But the basic principle is that energy is either there or it's not. You can't create it or destroy it. Okay, think of glory that way. Glory can neither be created nor destroyed. So when you glorify God, you aren't creating something that didn't exist. Glory can't be created nor destroyed. It can only be hidden or unveiled. Jesus isn't saying to the Father, hey, it's been a long time. I've been living without glory for a while. I want you to create some glory, muster up some glory for me. Actually, we're going to see at the end of this time today that he's actually praying that God would simply restore what already was. And so when you think about your role in glorifying God, you're not creating something that isn't there. You're simply either hiding or unveiling what is already there here's an illustration for you i have a compact mirror you guys remember these it's funny this morning i had a hard time finding somebody who had a compact when i was a kid everybody had a compact you always got to check your make sure your makeup's good make sure nothing in your teeth so nina went out to her car and she found this compact mirror i want you to think about your role as the same thing as this mirror so this mirror can't create images it's not a tv the only thing this mirror can do is reflect an image that's already there. Are you with me? So like, if there isn't actually something in real life, you're not going to see it in this mirror. It'll only show you what's already there. Think about light. This mirror will reflect light, but it doesn't create light. But it works as a great reflector of light. And I can all across this room blind you. Now think about that. This, this mirror, what, what's wrong? Is it bright? Hey, this mirror doesn't have any electricity, like no batteries. There's no nuclear power plant behind it creating light. All it can do, if at the right angle, is reflect the light. You don't see the light? It's bright, isn't it? The only thing it can do is reflect the light that's already there. But what happens if I'm shining this down here and the lights in the room go off? It's gone. Why? Because this mirror can't create light. It can't create images. It can only reflect what is there or not there. So anything that will glorify God is simply a mirror or a reflection to make God's glory visible, known, seen, and ultimately what? Experienced. Now with that in mind, we continue moving through the text today and before we even get to verse 2 i want to think about all the ways that the bible describes god's glory being made visible on the earth 
Okay, so I'm just going to run through some passages of Scripture. If you're taking notes, jot these down. Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So when you go outside at night, you kind of got to get away from the city of Fort Worth, maybe even just keep driving until you get to a place where there's no street lights, no artificial lights, and you look up and you begin to see past just the bright stars and you begin to realize, oh my gosh, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of stars out there and you begin to feel the bigness of the universe you're on the cusp of glory as you begin to to acknowledge something that's so much bigger than you are you can't fathom it adequately describe it you can't measure it or comprehend it that's what psalm 19 says the heavens and the sky above proclaim the glory of god there's some other ways that God's glory is reflected through his creation. Psalm 25:11 says that for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt for it is great. So we're going to begin to see that even the good work that God does in our individual lives serves as a reflection of his glory. When he pardons our sins, when he forgives our sins, it's like taking that mirror at just the right angle and reflecting his glory out into the universe. Some more examples. Psalm 50, 15. Have you ever prayed to God to rescue you or deliver you from a situation? The psalmist says this, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And what? You will, you shall glorify me. God, deliver me from this really hard situation. For what end? To what purpose? that my life might be a mirror to reflect your glory. So God displays his glory in forgiving our sins, rescuing us. Even in our afflictions, we'll see in Isaiah 48, listen to these words. God says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. That's God saying, do I have a right as a righteous judge, to be angry with you, yes, but I'm deferring my anger. Why? For my name's sake, so that my name would be known, so my glory will go out. I'm deferring my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. You ever thank God for not just cutting you off? You should. And when you turn to God in gratitude and thank him for not cutting you off, not giving up on you, your life becomes this mirror reflecting the goodness of his name. Behold, God says, I have refined you, changed you, made you better than you were, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction, suffering, hardship, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. God is protective of his glory. God doesn't want his glory to be distorted or defamed or misrepresented in any way. I think about God's glory in our lives on a personal level. Psalm 23, 3 says, He restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? Why would God do that? Why would God restore your soul? For His name's sake. 
that his name would go out, that he would be made famous in all the earth. Here are some ways that we can glorify God together. Psalm 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. It's an invitation. Hey, come do something with me that will magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. It's what we've gathered to do today. Continuing on, Psalm 69, 30, I will praise the name of God with song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 22, 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. And listen to this one. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Okay, how are we going to do that? Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. So one way we can glorify God as we declare together we magnify his name together we sing songs about him we declare his goodness together and another way is we can stand on the rim of his greatness and just stand in awe and just just allow yourself to be overwhelmed with the magnitude of who he is these are all ways that you and I can live our lives like a mirror just reflecting his goodness to the world Romans chapter 15 says that we can also glorify God in our unity with one another. This is Romans 15 verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, that's the church, to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus, Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the same thing Jesus was praying for. Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. Paul says, church, you can do that. How? By coming together to glorify God with one voice. Verse 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. Think about that, church. How you interact with one another, how you greet one another can serve as a glorification mechanism, a mirror to reflect the goodness of God. It's not just the songs we sing. It's not just the opening of his word. Those things all magnify and glorify God. But the way you welcome and greet one another, think about that. When you walk out of here today, when you encounter another human being in conversation, hopefully you'll come back next Sunday. When you step onto the campus, are you coming just to be loved on? to be accepted, like I hope all those things happen, but are you also stepping onto the campus saying, God, use me as a mirror today. Just by the way I welcome and I greet people, God, glorify yourself through me today. But what's happening here in John chapter 17 is different from all the things that I've gone through so far because what Jesus is praying for is what we would call the inner glorification of the Godhead. Jesus is glorifying the Father, and the Father is glorifying Him. That's really important. Matter of fact, if you'll back up to John chapter 8, Jesus makes it emphatically clear. His job is not to glorify Himself, but to glorify God. Listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 8. This is verse 49. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet, I do not seek my own glory. It's pretty clear. 
Jesus is not seeking his own glory. So who is Jesus living for? Who is he living to serve and to glorify? He says in verse 6, excuse me, in verse, at the end of verse 50, he says, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Skip down to verse 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. So two things I want to focus on real quick. We know the hour has come. Something big's about to happen, right? And we think about what God accomplishes through the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection. There are a lot of things that could have been on Jesus' mind that he would be praying for in this moment. Hey, God, give me the strength to endure the suffering. Give me the courage to face the fear of breathing my last breath. Hey, God, how's this going to work again on Sunday? Okay, I just need to hear you. A lot of things could have been on his mind in this moment, but that's not what he's praying for. He's not even praying, God, resurrect me from the dead. He's saying what? Glorify me as I glorify you. So think about what did God establish for you at the cross? Just think about that. Some things come to mind. The forgiveness of sins. That's where Jesus paid my debt. That's where the, we talked about it last week, that's where the veil to the Holy of Holies was torn, right? That's where God grants me access now into his presence because my sins have been forgiven. We could go bigger than that, eternal life, right? That's where God establishes my eternal life is at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But that's not the primary thing God is doing. God's doing something bigger than that. What's he doing? He's glorifying himself. We're going to see it in just a moment. God is not glorifying himself as a means to get you into heaven. You getting into heaven is the means through which God is glorifying himself. So think about it. Why is it good that God would glorify himself? Let's think about that for a minute. First of all, we see the inner glorification of the Godhead, which is pretty cool, right? Jesus is like, I'm not living for my glory. I'm living for the glory of the Father. The Father's like, I'm glorifying the Son. Like, think about Jesus' baptism. A voice is heard from heaven. Who's, whose voice is it? It's the Father. What does he say? That's my Son, and whom I am well pleased. He's shining a spotlight on Jesus. He's glorifying the Son. Where's the Holy Spirit in all this? I had to think about that this week, and then I remembered, oh, the Holy Spirit is the one inspiring all these words. That's what the Bible says. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring the authors. How did John remember all that was included in the prayer? The Holy Spirit is there whispering in John's ear. Write this. That's right. That's what Jesus prayed for. So we see the Father and the Spirit are glorifying the Son. In the previous chapter, the Father and the Son are glorifying the Spirit. We see the Spirit and the Son glorifying the Father. That's helpful. But it's more than that. You think about why is it good and right that God would glorify himself? The second reason is this. As we see, it is always to our good when God glorifies himself. 
that also includes affliction, by the way. That doesn't mean, that statement does not mean that all of my troubles conclude the way I want them to conclude. But it does mean that when God is glorified, it's always to our good. Him being glorified means my sins are forgiven. Him being glorified means what? He's deferring his anger. Him being glorified means that I'm saved. Him being glorified means he's being patient with me, which leads to the third, and I would say the more significant thing that Jesus is getting at here. If God doesn't glorify himself, you'll never know who he is. You can't know God and not know his glory. There's no way for God to unveil himself to you void of glory because he's glorious he's not just someone who loves you he's the greatest lover in the universe he's not just someone who's patient with us he has the greatest patience in all the universe he's not just a friend who's merciful he is the great god of mercy and when he unveils his character to us we can't not experience his glory begin to understand oh it's not an arrogant thing that god would glorify himself it's the means by which what he reveals himself to us look at what jesus is going to say next verse two and three since you have given him that's the son authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him we'll come back to that verse verse three and this is eternal life what is eternal life that they know you that's the point of eternal life that they the world creation those whom you save would know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent to live your life and to die and to go to heaven and never know who god is is a tragedy that's not the point of heaven the point of heaven isn't to give you another breath or another chance or more time with your loved ones the point of heaven is to give you a space where you can know god and jesus is praying god glorify me as i glorify the father and this is eternal life what's eternal life that they might know you that's why jesus is praying for glory make yourself known god Father, make yourself known through me. Make, as I make you known, make me known. Why? So that they may what? Know you. This is what eternal life is about. In verse 2, we'll go back to that. So Jesus says, since you have given him, the Son, authority over all flesh. I think this is twofold when you look at the Gospel of John. First of all, it's authority over his own flesh. Remember what he said about his own life? Nobody's going to take it from me, but I have authority to what? Lay it down and authority to take it back up. So when Jesus talks about authority over flesh, he's speaking first of all of his own. But listen, through his laying his own life down and taking it back up, he will display authority over your flesh as well. That he can, he can, the same coming back to life, resurrection power that he experiences is available to us. It's interesting because Jesus describes anyone who would become a Christian as someone the Father has given to him. 
So Jesus sees anybody who would, who would come to a knowledge of who he is, follow him in faith as a gift from the Father. And he says what? Since you have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to me. You give me people who are going to follow me in faith, come to me for salvation, and I'm going to give to them eternal life. How could you give such a gift? Because I have authority over all flesh. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, verse 18, for all authority in heaven has been given to me. Who's saying that? You know? It's Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He has authority not only over his own life, his own flesh, but he has authority over yours as well. And so here in his prayer, he's talking about your salvation. He's talking about your resurrection. He's talking about your eternal life. And he said it's all aimed at something, though. What's it aimed at? That you might know God. And think about it. As you get to know who God is, the better your life is going to reflect his glory. And the more you reflect his glory, the more you and other people around you are going to know who God is. It's this beautiful process. It's what the Apostle Paul will describe as this process from glory to glory. I'm going to read from from, uh, 2 Corinthians. Listen to this. Let's just go to verse 318 in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul's talking to the church about how this works, and he says this is where our transformation comes from. He says, listen, we all with unveiled face beholding what? The glory of the Lord. If you are in Christ, you are a Christian, Right? The, the, the face of Christ has been unveiled to you. God's identity has been unveiled to you. And now you behold the glory of the Lord. And what happens then is what follows. You are being transformed into the same image. From what? One degree of glory to another. So if you're a Christian, the day you became a Christian was a glory moment. It's beautiful reflection. Your life serves as a beautiful reflection of the goodness of God. He could love. He could save. He could forgive. Even somebody like me, it was a moment of glory. It transformed you. And as you continued your Christian journey, the more you got to know God, the more you saw his glory, the more you are transformed from one degree of what? Glory to another. Until we get to heaven, guess what? There'll, There'll be no need for sun or moon in heaven. Book of Revelation is clear. Why? Anybody know? Revelation 21. Because the glory of God will be enough. That's when you will stand in the fullness of God's glory. Until then, his glory is being revealed to you one degree at a time. One moment at a time. One event at a time. We also know this, though, in 2 Corinthians, the very next chapter, chapter 4, Paul talks about how Satan is roaming the earth, veiling, attempting to veil the glory of God. Listen to how he describes it. This is in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 3 through 6. Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing something. What is it? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So Satan is roaming the earth attempting to veil you from the glory of God so you can't see it. 
And he uses things like lies. See, you can't prove God is real. If God was real, like if God was loving, why would he let bad things happen to good people? And all these lies are meant to do what? To veil you, to keep you from seeing the goodness and the glory of God. This is verse 6, that same passage. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So while Satan is attempting to veil the glory of God from unbelievers, you, believer, are meant to do what? To serve as a mirror. Like, it doesn't matter how dark you get this room. You shine one light on this stage, and I can take this mirror, and I can light up any corner. The power's not in the mirror. Listen, the power's not in you. But when you position your life to make much of God, your life is just like this mirror, shining light in the darkness. And that's what Paul is getting at here to the church in Corinth. So we think about this. We think about what Jesus prays for in this dark hour, at this huge moment in his life and ministry. What is he asking for? He's asking for God to glorify himself. So what does that teach us about our lives? What is the ultimate end and purpose of your existence? To be the best employee you can be, to be the best parent you can be, to accumulate the most wealth that you can accumulate or possessions. What is the aim of your existence? Listen. You and I exist to one end and one end alone, to make much of God. So in your work, work hard. Why? For the glory of God. In your parenting, parent hard. Align your your parenting with the counsel of God's word. Why? So that your life can glorify God. Be a great friend to one another. Welcome and greet one another. Sing songs with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Live in harmony with one another. Why? Why? that our lives might serve as a reflection of the glory of God. Listen to how Jesus continues in verse 4 and 5. God, I, or Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. That's your role. Accomplish the work God gave you to do. Why? That through that you might glorify him. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Glory can neither be created nor destroyed. Jesus isn't saying, hey, will you come up with some glory for me? He's saying, listen, will you just, will you, God, take me back to my rightful place at your right hand where I'm standing in the glory that I had before the world existed. Listen, you as you think about glorifying God in your life, your job is simply to make him known. He'll do the rest. You don't have to dress him up. You don't have to talk people into it. You simply have but to make him known. Your life, the best you can do with your life is right here. Right here. To serve as a mirror reflecting God's glory in the world around you. Now I want to wrap up today leaving you with a couple of questions. So how can you glorify God before you leave here today? 
I just want you to think about that. What are some things you can do? What's a thing you can do before you leave here today that will glorify God? We just went through a list of ideas. First off, when we stand to sing in a minute, just mean it. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, like I get in this, this mode sometimes where it's like lip service. I'm like, I know the words of the song. I know I'm supposed to sing them. If I don't sing them, people are going to think that I don't, not thinking about God, so I'm going to sing them. And then it's like five, six minutes in, I'm like, oh, wow, these are really profound things that I'm singing. So just think about, we're about to sing one of the biggest songs we sing here. One way you could glorify God is just join your voices together as the church and mean it. Like brag on God out of your gratitude for his goodness in your life. You could glorify God simply by how you interact with one another in just a few minutes when we dismiss. So how can you glorify God before you leave here today? And I just want that to like prime the pump. How then can you glorify God on a daily basis this week? How can you live your life in a way that your life would be a mirror, a reflector of God's glory to the world around you in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your family? How can you glorify God? So now we're just going to follow suit with Jesus. We're going to pray for that. God, glorify yourself in us as we, God, strive to glorify you. When we dismiss today, we'll have uh, prayer partners at the front like we normally do, and our elders will be out in the commons. If you're here today and one, maybe you're just struggling with the concept of glory and you want to ask questions, come talk to somebody. Or maybe you're here today and you've never taken a step of faith to trust in Christ as your Savior. And so conceptually, you're trying to understand something you have yet to experience. Before you leave here today, maybe your one thing to do to glorify God is take a step of faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. Yield your life to Him as your Savior and your King. If that's, if that's you, I want to encourage you, grab one of our prayer partners in a minute when we dismiss. Let them talk with you and pray with you and, and just be with you as you make that take that step of faith into God's kingdom. So let's pray together as our worship team comes back out. Father, we, we simply want to bow our hearts together. We want to join our minds together right now. Father, we want to pray what Jesus prayed. Father, glorify yourself in us and through us, God, that our lives might be these incredible beacons of of. of of your glory. Father, show us how to live our lives this week the way Jesus lived his life here on earth, accomplishing the work you gave him, God, all for your glory. Father, we want to pray what Jesus prayed. Glorify yourself in us. So now we invite the Holy Spirit of God to move in this place, to move in our hearts, to speak to us, to unveil glory to us. Lord Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Amen.